Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. What it is. I don't know. It's a good morning. It's a good morning. It's a good morning to be alive. It is below freezing outside. Can we just take a second? It's below freezing outside. There's a lot of ice. Be careful. I'm going to be that guy. Be careful. Don't break your neck. I saw some kids running fast up the sidewalk, and I just, that's how I know I'm getting old, because my first reaction was concern. I was like, you're going to get hurt, um, but they didn't. They didn't. They're okay. In case I'm, I'm happy that the our, our our final church has arrived. Let's go. Give it up for them. Come on. They drove far through the tundra in horse and carriage, and everyone survived. Took you a while, but you got here, and I'm happy to see you. Whoop, whoop. Okay, uh, I want to I want to catch them up a little bit. Okay, let's catch them up a little bit. Um, we are going through this this series through this weekend called Come Alive, Come Alive. And there's an emphasis that we're putting uh, on the breath of God, the breath of God, because it's, it's our breath. It's because we can breathe that we can say we're here right now, right? That we can say, I'm alive. If you went out in that frozen tundra out there and you breathe, when you exhale, you're able to see what? Your breath. It's not that, not that crazy. You're able to see your breath. You go outside and you go, and you're able to see your breath in the air. And that is an indication that you are here. You are alive. And, and more than that, we talked last night about how when God created man, he filled man with the breath of life and he became a living being. He became a living being. And we talked about how in that time that, that man was in this relationship with God, that, that relationship was perfect. And, and Adam was living life to the full. He was, he was in this perfect presence with his, with his heavenly father, his creator. And the, the breath of the creator was in him, making him a living thing. And more than that, he was created in the image of his creator to reflect the image of the creator to all creation. So he's filled with the life-giving spirit of the creator, of God. He's walking in relationship with God and his job is to reflect the image of God into creation and back to his creator. Man, I'm telling you, I, if I could have been there, if I could have been there in that moment, I would have just been like, wow, everything is so good. As a matter of fact, when God made man, he said, it is very good. It's very good. The story, the narrative, I like to call it a narrative because sometimes when we call what's in the Bible a story, we can take it as a myth or a fairy tale. This is not a myth or a fairy tale. This is a historical account of the creation of the universe, uh, the world, and you and I. This is a historical account. Truth is found in the pages of this book. This is not some myth, some story, some legend. This is an account of how God did it. 
of how God did it, how you and I were created in his image to reflect his image. And man, if I was in the presence of God in that moment where everything was just perfect, set in its place according to his time, just just in that space where there was nothing missing, nothing broken, we call that shalom. It's perfect peace in that moment, man. I, I don't know about you, but in my life, in the midst of all this crazy, I don't know about you, but I could use a little peace in my life from time to time. I don't know if I could get an amen on that one. Any ameners in the house? Yo, I need a little peace because it's noisy out here in these streets. (laughs) It is noisy. I just need a little peace sometimes. And you know what's so amazing is that I find my peace when I'm with my father, my heavenly father, my creator, because you know what? When when I'm with my father and when I'm with my creator and I'm honest, you know what's crazy? I know that there's no secrets. There's nothing missing there. He knows me intimately. He knows me, man. If I had hair on my head, he would be able to count every hair. He knows every breath that I've ever taken. He knows every thought I've ever had. He knows every thought I will ever think. He knows the desires of my heart. And when I sit in the midst of my heavenly father and I go, wow, you get me. You understand me. And you want so much more for me than I could ever want for myself. And if I could just get a fraction of what your purpose is for me, I'd know that I'd feel alive. I'd be alive. I don't know what your relationship is with your earthly father. You might have an awesome relationship with your earthly father. You might have a superhero dad. Do you know what's crazy? In my son's phone, not that he has a phone, in his contacts on his Apple Watch, he ain't at the phone level yet, but on his Apple Watch that he got for Christmas from Nana, who likes to spoil him, much to my dismay sometimes, I'm like, you're spoiling this kid. In his contacts, he has me as my hero. Isn't that crazy? That just brings a smile to my face. You know, I grew up in a fractured home. My parents were divorced when I was very young. We'll get to that uh, at some point together. But as much as my son considers me his hero, as much as my son and I have this tight relationship, father and son, we have a bond. As much as he calls me his hero, there are just some things about him that I do not understand. I just don't get it. I, I, I just don't get why you would just come into the living room and just go, ah, ah, and then and then just like nothing happened, and then just walk 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 along. And I go, what was that? He's like, I don't know. I was like, okay. And then that actually compels me to want to do it because that seemed pretty cool. Ah, 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 and then I just see him, and then we're doing things that don't understand. But I don't understand why he does some of the things that he does. It's just crazy. Like, why would you just run from the top of the stairs and jump? Like, for no reason. Thinking you can fly. What is that? I don't understand why you would do that. Oh, because it's fun. Was it fun after you got a concussion? Was that fun? Head trauma. (laughs) But, but, But as much as I... I'm in a relationship, there's just some things about him that I don't get. I don't get why sometimes he's so frustrated. I don't get sometimes why he has outbursts of anger. I don't get sometimes why he just chooses to do the things that he does. There's some things that I don't understand. And then when I come close and I try to get like, what is making you so frustrated? Why are we seeming a little out of sorts? What's sideways right now? And he can't necessarily articulate why he's feeling the way he is. And there's some things that are left to my imagination when I care about my son and I want to know what's going on in him, but I just don't get it. And maybe after some time we can talk about it, but there's still going 
going to be some questions and concerns that I have that I want to fully understand. But here's the thing. It's not so with our creator. It's not so with our heavenly father because he knows every thought, every desire, everything that's going on in your life. And even if you can't articulate it, he still knows. And that's the closeness of the father. That's the closeness of our creator that, that lives in proximity to us, even in us. Where he goes, those are my kids. I know everything about them. I love them more than anybody ever could. I love them more than they even love themselves. And I wish they could see who I am in their life because I've given them my breath, my spirit, my love. I've given them a piece of me that they might be alive. So as God created man in the garden. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. He took a piece of the man, his rib, and he fashioned the woman. Uh, Adam had serious ribs, I guess, or he was just the last only man on earth. And so he's like, this is my wife, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, girl, we getting married. We're going to start a family. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> so God says, be blessed, be blessed, be fruitful. Multiply, have that family, subdue the earth, manage what I've given you, be free. Everything's perfect. Do you see what I've given you? I've given you the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, the fish in the sea. I've given you plants. I've given you everything. And with everything that I made, everything that I spoke into creation, do you know what God said? He said, it is good. When he made the birds of the sky, he said, it's good. When he made the trees, he said, that's good. When he made the grass, that's good. He formed the earth, that's good. Stars in the sky, that's good. And then he made man and woman, he said, that's very good. That's very good. That's good work. Pat myself on the back, that's very good. And everything was good. And you know what's amazing is that this relationship was so life-giving, so beautiful, so tight, so close, that, that the creator of the universe, this heavenly, divine, sovereign being, is in such close proximity and perfect relationship with his created beings, man and woman, that they can have conversations in the garden that he created. Like they can talk, have a conversation. I'm walking with my God. I'm walking with the creator of the universe that is so powerful and so other and so big and so supreme. So like something so otherworldly because that's what he is and, and so large, but so close and makes himself so sm small and so humble that when he speaks, I can hear his words and it doesn't just like blow me away. Because I could imagine the voice of God being a pretty powerful thing. I'm a big dude, but that would knock me over. Like God could destroy the whole world with less than a sneeze. And yet he wants to be so close and so humble that he can speak to you and me. So there's this life-giving relationship in this garden. And man is like, yo, nothing's off. I'm here. This is good. And then what happens? There's an adversary. There's an adversary who became jealous of God. And God cast the adversary out of heaven. And since that moment, and even before the whole plan and purpose of the adversary was to destroy what God had created and create separation between what is good and what is meant to be good. 
And this adversary came in and he, and he started to, to confuse some things within the creation that God had made. And, and one of the places that he began was in the heart and mind of the man that God had created. You see, the enemy and the adversary is jealous of your relationship with God. The enemy and the adversary wanted to be God himself. And then when he, when God drew the line and cast him out of heaven and casted him out of his presence, he said, all right, I'm going to make sure that nothing can be close to you. I'm going to make sure that no one can live a full life in you. I'm going to make sure that no one can be in a relationship with you. I'm going to destroy every good thing that you've created. And I'm going to start with the man and the woman who was created in your likeness and meant to reflect your image. Well, he wanted to destroy all that. You see, in this time, it says that the adversary, and even still today, is more crafty than anything God had ever created. The enemy is wise. The enemy is crafty. He's cunning. And the enemy knew that God had told the man and the woman that they could enjoy everything and anything that God had created, except there was one place where they could not go. And it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, they, and God said, do not eat of its fruit. You can have anything in this garden. You can have anything anywhere in any space that I've created. You have freedom, free reign, just rule, subdue, be fruitful, multiply, be in a relationship with me. This is going to be a life-giving situation. Just don't eat from that one plant, that one tree over there. Well, it says... That in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, this is the enemy, the adversary, in the form of a serpent. I don't know if it was a snake or what kind of snake this looked like or whatever, but the adversary took the form of a serpent, and it was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And this serpent, this adversary said to the woman, Did God really say... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know what's crazy when it comes to what the adversary, what the enemy, what Satan wants to do when it comes to our relationship with God. See, he's not going to come to you all at once. He's not just going to throw the lie in your face. He's going to make you question truth. He's going to make you question God's word. He's going to make you question God's best for you. He's going to ask you questions. And ultimately, it's going to come down to a conversation where you're having and you're saying, did God really say, did God really say I couldn't do that? Did God really say I couldn't have that? Did God really say I shouldn't believe that? Did God really say I shouldn't try that? Did God really say, did God really say, because if I can put just a little nugget of doubt in there and I can start to have this conversation internally and I can start having this conversation with others and I can start giving myself to all these other voices, at some point I can justify the thing that I want for myself rather than the thing that God wants for me. Microphone almost broke. <laughs> it's fine. Did God really say? Did God really say? And here's the thing. This is the first time in the creative account, the narrative that we've given that anyone questions God's word. And it was in this moment that man and woman started believing the questions and the lies that the enemy had. Not that questions are bad, but here's the thing. The motive behind the question was bad. 
See, questions aren't bad. See, God's big enough to handle our questions, man. You got questions, you got doubt. Look all through biblical history. You can find tons of questions, tons of doubt that God brings answers to. The question is, was the question meant to draw God's created beings away from him? Or were the questions created so that his created beings could know more about him? See, sometimes we ask and we think that the questions are wrong. The questions are not wrong, but the motives are wrong. Do you want to draw away from God? Do you want to go toward your own thing, your own wants, what you want? Do you want to turn your back on God and just have for yourself what you can have so that you can be the king and the God of your own life? Are you asking the questions so you could go after the things that you want and what the enemy has for you? Or are you asking questions because you want to know more about what this full life in God looks like? Where are your questions leading you? Why are you asking the questions? The questions are good. The doubts are even fine. But are they moving you away from God or toward him? Because you're asking with the wrong motives. You want to justify your own desires, your own wants, the own desire to be the God of your own life. And God's like, yo, you ain't big enough to live a life fulfilled in yourself but I'm big enough that you can have a fulfilled life, a full life, a thriving life, a flourishing life, an eternal life in me. The enemy says, did he really say? She answers, no, he he didn't say that we couldn't eat from any tree in the garden. He just said that we couldn't eat from this one because then we'll die. And here's what the serpent said. This is so crafty. He said, you're not going to die. You won't certainly die, but your eyes will be open and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And he doesn't want that for you. You're not going to die. Your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like him. And so she saw that the fruit was good for food and desirable to make one wise. She took from it and ate and gave some to her husband and he ate. And in that moment, Shame, guilt, hiding, jealousy, strife, murder enters into the story of humanity because in a moment, man decided he wanted to believe the lies of the enemy rather than the truth of God. He wanted to turn his back on God in a moment and take for himself what God said was not for him. And in that moment, all of these things that were so outside of the heart of God, we call it sin. It's the thing that gets in the way of us and our relationship with God, sin. It creates a chasm. And God says, I can't touch that. I can't, I don't want anything to do with that. That's not holy. That's not righteous. That's not what I've created you for. I created you for me, not for the lies that you're believing. And the enemy celebrates and says, I got him. The enemy celebrates and said, I did it. I created a wedge. These are mine forever. I am now their God and their creator is not. And now there's a chasm. It's a story of the fall, how things began to unravel. Yet God had a plan that we're not going to bring closure in this talk right now. We are going to say the door is still open for the redemption and the reconciling work of God. But in this moment, we're going to feel what does that pain look like when I'm swimming in waters that I don't belong in and I think I'm having a good time, but next thing you know, I'm drowning and I'm being taken under and I'm trying to catch my breath. You see, that's what happened 
in John 10, 10, it says that the thief, the word there is adversary. The adversary, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. See, the adversary wants to steal the life-giving breath that God has given you. The enemy wants to steal you away from his spirit. The enemy wants to steal you away from his love, and he's going to put all sorts of desirable things in front of you and saying, that's going to make you feel good. That's going to make you happy. That's what's going to fill that void in your heart. That's what's going to answer all your problems. That's how you're going to heal your trauma. That's how you're going to solve this issue. That's how you're going to function in order to be somebody who's justified in this moment. And, And he's going to look at you and say, that's what living looks like. And God has all these answers for you in him. And the enemy wants to keep you distracted and pulled away from that. And he wants you to give the breath that God gave you to the things that he's putting in front of you. He wants you to worship anything but God. He wants you to believe anything about yourself that has nothing to do with God. He came to steal you away. He came to kill you and destroy you. He wants you to have no chance being in the family of God. He wants you to be his forever. He wants to be your God. And he does so by making you think that you're God. You're the God of your own life. And whatever you feel like you're free to do and want to do, you do it because you're God. And you want for you more than what God wants for you. It's this story where the enemy is so cunning that he'll have you swimming out in those waters and he'll have you taking part in things that look like fun, things that you want to be a part of. See, he's crafty. He's cunning. He doesn't show you the deterioration of your spirit and your soul and your body all at once. He won't show you that. That's going to be a progressive movement. See, see, the enemy's been there since the beginning. What is the timeline of your life to him? The enemy is very patient. He'll let you swim far out there. Here's a story um, from my life. This is actually a historical narrative of my own life. I don't want you to think it's a myth or untrue. This is an actual thing that happened to me. When I was about eight years old, I played Pop Warner football. I've always been big, and um, I've always played football until I got hurt. Then I couldn't anymore. Different story. But I remember when I was eight years old, my football team was having a pool party. We're having a pool party, and um, we were real reckless at the time. In that, those days, we did not wear helmets when we rode bikes. It explains a lot. We did not wear helmets or seatbelts. That explains a lot about my generation. We were reckless. Our parents didn't really focus on our safety as much as they probably should. Can I get an amen from some of you leaders? I know you did not did not wear helmets, did not wear seatbelts. If you rode in the back, back seat, did not have to wear a seatbelt. See, y'all fight for the front seat. If you sit in the front, you have to wear a seatbelt. In the back, no seatbelt. So we fought for the back seat, not the front seat. We don't want to wear it. We want to be free. Anyway... I remember when we were at this pool party and my coaches were there and I'm about eight years old and there's other kids, eight, nine, and 10 at this pool party, a whole mob of us. And, and I remember uh, there was this one coach um, who was like a super athlete. We all looked up to him. His name was Coach Fred. And what we started to do was we started to play this game called Dog Pile. Y'all ever play Dog Pile? It's basically you, you catch the slowest person in the group and then you just all pile on that person until they suffocate. Like they can't breathe and then that's the game. I don't know how that's fun. Um, looking back, it's pretty crazy. But here's the thing. We started playing Dog Pile, but the one who belonged at the bottom of the pile that we all had our eyes set on was Coach Fred. 
Coach Fred, we all wanted to take Coach Fred down, take Coach Fred under, and all pile on top of Coach Fred. But we didn't do this on land. We wanted to do this in water. That was the game. Let's hold Coach Fred under the water until he suffocates and dies. That was the game. This was going to be fun, y'all. A bunch of nine, ten-year-olds piling on top of this coach to hold him underwater. And I don't know what the end result would be because it's like, all right, so you catch Coach Fred, and y'all are piling on top of him, holding him underwater, then what? Like, what, what, what's the deal? What's the goal? Okay, death, I get you. Okay, so we're going after Coach Fred together. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're all on top of Coach Fred. And I remember climbing up on top of this dude and be like, yeah, got him. And then all the kids start piling up and they start piling on and I'm like, holding on. And I realized that I couldn't breathe. <laughs> because I was directly on top of Coach Fred around his neck and all these kids are piling on and pushing us both down under the water. So I think I got my hands on him, but they got their hands on me and now I'm underwater and here's the thing, the athlete that Coach, see I was roly-poly, fluffy Luke and I'm on top, not very athletic and Coach Fred with such speed and aggression breaks my grip off his neck and swims out from under this whole group and goes to the side of the pool. And guess what? Nobody knows but me. <laughs> Nobody knows that he was out of there. They're all focused on holding him down. Yeah, we got him. He breaks out, swims to the side. And now I'm on the bottom of the dog pile. And I start flipping out. I can't breathe. My life is flashing before my eyes. And here's the thing. I start panicking. And I'm like trying to reach up. I don't know if you've ever been held underwater before. Maybe you got like a really mean older brother or sister that like dunks you in the pool and holds you under until you're just about to pass out or whatever. You come up crying. <laughs> this is a situation where nobody knew I was on the bottom. And so I'm reaching and I'm trying to grab for air. I'm trying to catch my breath, but I can't break out of the grip of these kids. And it was absolutely terrifying. And so I'm in this moment where then I really start panicking and I start grabbing the hair of kids and like tearing it off and like trying to scratch people off of me. And I'm like freaking out under the beneath the weight of this pile while in the meantime, I can't breathe. And so then I start taking in water. I'm like swallowing water and I'm starting to choke and I'm under this dog pile, and the next thing you know, I feel a hand. I feel a hand. And I was pulled out from under that dog pile, and I was sat on the side of the pool, and my back is being padded. And it was Coach Fred that went right back in there. It was like, oh, snap, Luke's dying, and pulled me out. And I start coughing up water, and it's like coming out. And I got snot bubbles and I'm crying and I almost died. I don't want to ever play dog pile ever again. It's how the enemy works. It's how the enemy works. It's his MO. He draws you out into places that are attractive where you can be a part. He, he draws you out into these spaces where like, man, Seems like I'm missing out if I'm not out there. But next thing you know, you're on the bottom of the weight of this sin. You're on the bottom fighting for your life. And guess what? In my own life, not just connected to uh, a, a situation where I was in a pool, but in my life, in my spirit, as a part of my story, 
I know what it feels like to be under the weight of sin and disconnected from God and not living in my purpose and wondering who I am, what life is about, and if anything really matters. And I'm reaching and trying to rip off the things that are holding me down and I'm making no effort in catching my breath. I've been there. I was there when I was a teenager. I was there when I was in my 20s. I was there. I was there before Jesus. I was there before Jesus. And some of us are there right now. We're under the weight of our sin. We're under the weight of some of the things that are out of our control that are a result of brokenness and sin. Human beings living outside of their purpose. We're in a space. We're really not sure if God loves us. We're not really sure if we're living according to his word or his purpose or if we, even if we are filled with his breath. And some of you are fighting and trying to catch that breath on your own. And the enemy loves it. But it breaks God's heart so much so that at some point he decided to get in there and be the one that pulls you out. And we'll talk about that later tonight. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not the end of the verse. We'll look at the end of that verse tonight. But today, when you guys go into your small groups and you have this discussion, I would love for you guys just to talk about, what am I going after where I'm leaving God behind? What am I going after that's leading me to a place where I'm just trying to catch my own breath? And God says, you're trying to catch something that I've already given you. I've already given you. Come back. Come back to your heavenly father. Amen. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this morning. Lord, I'm so blessed by these young people, a vibrancy, a vitality, a joy, an enthusiasm, one that comes from you, Lord. And I know that you are just so intimately acquainted with your kids. You want so much for them. And Lord, I pray that in this weekend, in this time, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of who you are. You created us to be in a relationship with you. You created us to be flourishing in a relationship with you. You are our life-giving creator. You are our heavenly father. And you want what is so good for us. And it starts with a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be honest with you. Because you already know. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just step into that truth and say, God, show me where I'm out of line. Show me where I want for myself more than what you want for me. Show me where I'm believing the lies of the enemy. Show me where I'm trying to catch my breath. Help me, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.